When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. Turn up your volume because you're about to listen to The Sick Podcast. The Eye Test with Pierre McGuire and Jimmy Murphy. The Stanley Cup winning Colorado Avalanche. And after 22 years, Raymond The Sickest NHL Podcast. It's going to be sick. And welcome to another edition of the Eye Test here with Pierre McGuire and myself, Jimmy Murphy, on the Sick Podcast Network as we watch the final seconds of the Team USA Finland match in the semifinals uh, at the World Juniors. What do we got, Pierre? I've been, I've been focused on this right here. Is it over yet? Uh, it's getting close to being over. I know that the uh, Finns got a late power play after the Americans got a power play. Cutter Goche putting Team USA ahead three to two. What a game this has been, though, in the semifinal. I would think that the Americans will eventually win this game 3-2, and it sure looks like they have won the game. It has. Confirmed by our man Sammy, our producer right now. 3-2 final. USA wins over Finland. They will play Sweden for the gold medal game tomorrow uh, over in Gothenburg, Sweden. Of course, Sweden will have a nice home advantage for that one. Uh, They'll be rocking there for that game. Uh, Let's talk about this one right off the top, and then we'll go back to the first game, uh, Sweden and Czech, which was a surprisingly – Close game for a little, and then Sweden pulled away. But this game here, uh, USA, you and I were texting back and forth. I mean, I don't know, like, uh, did they have too many Swedish meatballs last night or what? They came out completely flat and found themselves trailing 2 nothing after 1. Pierre, what did you think they did to adjust after that dismal first period? Well, I think the Finns sat back, number one. They try to play passive resistance rather than be aggressive, which is what they established in the first period. The Finns were super aggressive in the first period. The American defensemen, I don't think we're ready for that. Lots of turnovers, bad puck management, not a lot of Americans supporting the American defense. Uh, guys from Finland that are big, physical, strong players getting to the front of Trey Augustine, causing some problems for him and net, and eventually they get a 2 nothing lead. But you could see... There was a concerted effort in the second period by the Americans to push the pace to yeah. get their defense more involved. But I think the turning point, Jimmy, and we talked about it a little bit off the air, the Jimmy Snuggerud power play goal, that thing was absolutely launched. And you could just see a surge of energy for the Americans and almost bitter disappointment for the Finns right after that goal. Yeah, they kind of knew, okay, here it comes. That wave is coming right now that we avoided for a while, but it, it finally came there. And, you know, we had uh, Bob Martzko, uh, coach of Minnesota, and Jimmy Snuggerud's coach on earlier in uh, the season here. And, and, you know, that was the thing, the common thread between you guys when you we were talking was just that shot that he has, Pierre. I mean, if you're a goalie, how difficult is it to just prepare yourself and adjust to that uh, as it's coming? Or do you even see it coming? It's such a – very few times you don't even see it coming because of the way you guys establish slot area presence in the game today. You know, you always hear the announcer say he's taking his eyes away. Well, it's fair. It's true. They used yep. to call it a screen when I was playing or coaching. Now they call it a modern technology term, taking somebody's eyes away. Um, but with Snuggerud, absolutely launched. Um, St. Louis Blues took him in the first round. He's been a marvel at the University of Minnesota. No, they haven't won a national championship there since he's been there. But, man, they came close last year, losing to Quinnipiac. He will, I'd be absolutely shocked if he's not part of the St. Louis Blues after his college season's over, playing for the great Bob Motzko we talked about. Yep. Jim, there are not a lot of guys that can shoot the puck the way he does um, and get it off as quickly as he does. So 
I can't think there's going to be much adjustment for him to get into the National Hockey League and make a difference. Yeah, he's got such a poison. And, then, of course, uh, Will Smith gets a goal uh, yeah. here. And, and, man, you know, he's having just one heck of a tournament. I think, believe he had a helper as well in this game, too. Um, but what's to you, what stands out about him when he's around the net? No, he's got hockey sense, and he knows how to find dead spots and coverage. He knows where to move without the puck and make himself available and make himself open. Uh, it was a great feed from Gabe Perot over to Will Smith. Will Smith, the first-round pick of San Jose. Perot, a first-round pick of the New York Rangers. And Ryan Leonard, the third person on that line, a first-round pick of the Washington Capitals. They all have a little bit something different. And Will Smith's thing is his hockey sense and his savvy around the net. Perot's got magical hands. We played to that yesterday. Mm -hmm. Leonard is a, a dynamic four checker. He can really shoot the puck well. He's a bigger physical guy, so he has more of a transition to four check, back check, in your face kind of a disposition. And so they all have a little bit something different, but they make Greg Brown, the coach of BC, a whole lot better. What a line that is for him. Amazing. It's unreal. It's unreal. And they are they are poised to go pretty deep in the NCAA tournament. All right, let's go to that Sweden game. Pierre. And like I said, credit to check. I mean, a lot of people didn't have him even sniffing this game and getting to that game. They did a great job, obviously, to beat Canada. They go to Sweden. They have it tied 2-2, headed to the third. But then, you know, Sweden just sort of turned on the ignition and drove away. Um, what was your take there on what they did differently to adjust just like USA did in, in this game? Jonathan Lekaramaki. You know, he's played in the tournament now for three years. He's really – Poise. He's a first-round pick of the Vancouver Canucks, Jimmy. He's a gunner. I've watched him play since he's been 16 years of age. Played for Jer Garden, uh, and not only in the U20 league, but he also played for them in the SHL, the Swedish Hockey League, which oh, is wow. a tremendous league. And he's playing in that league as a 17- and 18-year-old when I was watching him. Um, I think the biggest thing is, is that he made a difference. Liam Olgren, who's a first-round pick of the Minnesota Wild, he made a difference. Um, but on defense, the Swedes just big. They're mobile. They're uh, unbelievably skilled. They make a difference. Virander, who's a player, a first-round pick of, of Vancouver, who is at Boston University with Macklin Celebrini. He, he's had a tremendous tournament. So you look at it, the Swedes are tremendous defensively. They can counter with speed. They've got high-end skill and big-time shooting ability. That's a tough thing for the Czechs to match up with. It, and it was today. Yeah, let's go to that Lecker and Mackey game-winning goal right now, quickly. Sandine Pelica. Plays it across Lecker and Mackey, shoots, goal! And that took 17 seconds on the power play for Sweden to take the lead back. Yeah, I mean, just an absolute blast there and what just the poise on that kid Pierre I'll tell you I, I look at this game now coming up with Sweden and USA and you know like I said off the get-go they're gonna have a heck of a home advantage that being there but sometimes Pierre as we've seen in the past in tournament games like this whether it's the world juniors whether it's you know uh NCAA uh game where the the home maybe Boston College has it in Boston I think way back to a BC Michigan game I don't yeah. know if you remember that one well, I do Yep, in overtime I was at that. But sometimes that can work against them, can it? It can, absolutely. I don't think that will hurt the Swedes, though. The expectation coming in, and I know I shared it with you going in, I know people were yep. talking about the Americans are favorites, the Canadians are favorites. I thought the Swedes were the favorites. And part of that is they've had so much disappointment in this tournament. I right. think they're through that now. I think they came close to being in trouble after they lost to the Finns in overtime. They came close to being in trouble uh, against Switzerland yesterday or two days ago, I should say. And and so now I think they understand where they are. And this is the Americans had a tough game with Finland. There's no question. I think you would agree. Mm -hmm. They better expect a better game from Sweden tomorrow because the Swedes are a better team than the Finns, even though the Finns beat them in the regular part of the tournament. And plus, yeah, and they want to they want to win it for the home crowd. They would also, you know, think of just as you're speaking there, I'm thinking big picture here. And we've mentioned a couple times how much Russia not being in this tournament has affected it. And in bigger picture, you know, what may happen, you know, there's just so much turmoil going on in the world right now with mm -hmm. Russia yeah. and how scouts teams are approaching drafting kids from there. When you look at it, I, you know, I would say if all this wasn't going on, I would say that Russia was probably the best hockey-producing country in Europe. 
But with that going on, does Sweden sense the opportunity to kind of establish, establish themselves as the top, you know, NHL prospect producing country? They're, they're really good at it. And they've been at, good at it for a long time. They lost a decade of player from the year that Marcus Naslin and Peter Forsberg were taking the first round, Forsberg by Philadelphia and Naslin by Pittsburgh. From that draft, 1991, to when the Sedins got drafted in 1999, second and third overall, and that was all orchestrated by Brian Burke. Congratulations to him and the Vancouver Canucks. You know, the Sedins were amazing for the yeah. Canucks for so many years. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. That was a decade of Swedish players lost. Right. Think about that. From 91 to 99, there were no Swedish players being produced at a high level. And what happened was the Swedes were teaching systems rather than teaching skills. And they had a big symposium in Sweden. They said, how are we going to get back on track? Because they were starting to lose ground to the fins. And that was not acceptable uh, in their world. I remember uh, the Finns were being coached by a Swede, and they beat the Swedes in the world championship. And that, that created almost a national revolt in Sweden. So nice. they said, we got to have this meeting of the minds, and they did. And they went back to teaching skills and teaching fast-paced hockey and not playing the one-two-two trap. And all of a sudden, they started producing player after player after player after player. Yeah. And now you see the entire NHL landscape is over, not even overpopulated, but populated properly oh, yeah. by phenomenal Swedish players. For sure. For sure. Because I just think back to the, the wave that the Red Wings brought in to the, the NHL. And I mean, yeah. you, we, we credit them all the time for the scouting they did in that area of the world. It, it's amazing how many Swedes they have brought into that organization over the years. eh? Yeah. Yeah, no, well, Lucas Raymond's another one, and you're watching him play right now for the Detroit Red Wings. But uh, And Simon Irvitson, who we talked about before, who I think at some point will get called up and play regularly for, for Detroit. But Hawken Anderson is their European chief scout, and Chris Draper is their worldwide chief scout. And between Hawken Anderson and Chris Draper and the other great scouts they have in the Detroit organization, they've got it nailed. But Hawken Anderson – was the guy that, you know, Johan Franson, Nicholas Lidstrom, uh, Henrik Zetterberg, you, all those guys, well, that's on Hawken Anderson. I know that Jimmy Devolano and Scotty Bowman and Kenny Holland were there, but Hawken Anderson, you know, oh, yeah. played a significant role in that. Yeah. And, and Pierre, I know that, you know, you can't really comment it on it or give your opinion, but I'm going to just give mine quickly. I apologize. But I, I really hope that someday scouts are in the Hall of Fame. I, I just, just what they've done for the game and what, what they've done for guys above them that go in as builders, I just want to see them get the credit because I think sometimes, you know, we as media um, and then fans, we don't always give enough credit to the guys going around to the rinks in the snowstorm, driving all over, you know, the middle of nowhere in Sweden or whether it's in the States or what have you or in Canada. Um, you know, credit to the scouts out there that are working their tail off every day, racking up the mileage and producing players that lead to Stanley Cups for teams. I'm so proud of you for saying that, Jimmy. We never rehearsed that, but I, I think about guys that I... Yeah, I wouldn't want to get you in trouble, you know? <laughs> not, you'll never okay. get you in trouble. Trust me, you're my All partner right. for a reason. I really respect you. Okay. But but here, here's the deal. There's so many guys out there that have yeah, done unbelievable jobs helping build the core of organizations that the fans don't even know. And okay. these are guys that they do something they love. It's a lot of bad food. It's a lot of cold coffee. It's a lot of late nights. It's a lot of unbelievably dangerous car rides. Um, sometimes back in the day, you were in some really dangerous parts of the world. I can tell you that from experience. Um, 
but that's the passion these men have and women now that they have for the sport. And I yes. respect it. So I really do. Um, I, I think so highly. There's, there's two groups that really don't get enough credit. One of the groups are the athletic and physical trainers of these oh, NHL yeah. teams. They're really overlooked and undervalued, not by the teams, but by people. Mm -hmm. And then the other one, the scouting fraternity. Um, oh, yeah. I think both those groups are really underserved at higher levels of recognition, which is unfortunate. Yeah. And I'll just, for, I'm glad you brought up the trainers and the equipment managers and all those guys, Pierre, because I'll tell you, you know, there'll be days when I'm in a game day skater or practice and I'll, I'll catch up with the guys or I'll shoot the breeze with some of them uh, yeah. on the Bruins staff uh, as we're waiting for players to come out and, and, and talk to us. And, you know, these guys are already going into their, second wave of the day and it's only like 10 a.m like yeah you know i've been here since 3 a.m and I'm, what <laughs> and people don't realize and they're there all the way through to the game ends you know and then there's they're packing up the truck to get it to the practice facility or to get it to the airport to go off to a road game so i mean those guys i i don't know how they do it a lot of caffeine i guess um but god bless them the hard work they put in one of the greatest honors and privileges that I've had in my career um, was last year I was asked to present at the trainers, the P-Hats uh, Hockey That's Hall right. of Fame yep. uh, for Donnie Del Negro. You talk about Bruins trainers. Classic. And, um, it, it was an amazingly emotional moment for me because of the respect that I have for Donnie, not just now, but over the years. Yeah. And to have had the privilege to be asked to give that speech for his uh, in, induction was phenomenal. It's something I'll never forget. And one of the things you find out when you go to their conference and you spend time around them, in this case, it was in Arizona, the passion they have for hockey and to make the game better and the commitment they have to making the game better and keeping players healthy and finding breakthroughs in equipment, it's phenomenal. And, and they need to be recognized more. They really do, Jimmy. Yeah, for sure. And you know what, too, I've seen a couple of times, Piers, we're talking about this, I think about it. And of course, one of the stories, the big story today is Matthew Potter coming back. Yeah. You know, he's at, at the skate today, skating with the team for the first time in a couple of weeks. Is I remember when, you know, he got here uh, and, and the season starts and he's made the team. And, you know, this this kid's human. He's nervous. He's nervous. And I, I was just sitting there waiting for the next player they're going to roll out. And he was over in the corner and I could just tell he, you know, He's like, wow, what am I doing? You know, it just had that look on his face. Like, what is going on here? How did I get here? He's happy, but he's like, wow, he's in awe. And I just saw one of the trainers go over, um, Babinol. I don't know if you know Keith Babinol. And, yeah. you know, his equipment manager, actually. And he just went out and he's, he gets him laughing, just kind of takes his mind off the magnitude of the situation. Yeah. And I remember asking about it. He's like, oh, yeah. He's like, that guy calmed me down big time. And that they do that a lot, Pierre. Like it, they really do. They help the guys kind of get through situations, whether they're slumping, whether they're nervous for a big game. Uh, they're always a, an ear to lean on. And I, I love that about them. Well, the guy you're talking about, Keith, otherwise known as Woody, yeah. um, <laughs> he's uh, he's a tremendous man. And uh, he's been around there a long time. You talk yeah. about a guy that you write a book on different players and different hotels and different cities and different yep. arenas and just he's been around a lot of different stuff to use the same word over and over again. Uh, but no, you're right. And I think that's really well said. Um, it's not always the assistant coach that's going to be able to get the guy to settle down. It's not always the head coach. It's definitely not the GM. Yep. So who's going to be the counterbalance? Who's going to be the guy that's going to calm everything down? And a lot of times it is the trainer because more times than not, the first person a player sees when he comes to the rink after the security people, the athletic trainers. Yep. That's usually the first people they see when they get to the rink. Good stuff. Well, we apologize sidetracking, but I, I wanted to give those guys credit. Um, and, and so, look, I'm going to put it – well, you know what? No. No, by the time we're on – yeah, so let's let's do it. I'm going to do a pick right now, Pierre, uh, for the game tomorrow. Okay. I'm going to say 5-4 uh, Sweden in overtime is my prediction. Yeah, I'm, I'm not uh, – I know you don't like predictions, but you I like Sweden. Like no, I, I'm comfortable making a prediction because I think everybody's kind of like, is it Sweden? Is it USA? Uh, I thought going into the tournament the Swedes would win. I don't think I should change now. I do think it's going to be really tight, obviously. Um, the key is going to be 
do the Americans fall behind early or do they establish their game early? And I think if the Americans establish their game, which is speed, up-tempo, getting bodies and, and, and pucks to the net, if they establish that, then I think they'll eventually they'll win. But if they don't establish that early and the Swedes are able to establish their game, which is skill and flow and really hard defending, if they establish that and get goals, then I think it's going to be tough for the Americans to win. Yeah, I do too. All right, let's switch over to the NHL pair because we've got a heck of a slate of games coming up, some really important ones too when we talk about teams trying to stay in that playoff race. Is that why you're wearing a tie today? Because you're wearing <laughs> hey, an awesome picture. Nice, right? <laughs> Is that why you're wearing a tie? I should have dressed. I'm just across the I'm just across the Lachine Canal from the Bell Center in Montreal. Oh, okay. Nice. I should have put a tie on as well, even though I'm not going to the game. I'm going to watch it. Yeah, I'm in game mode right now. In game <laughs> mode. Plus, my uh, my other boss is at the game, so you know you got to you got to look good. It's hey Pierre. You know my my dad always loved to quote uh, Billy Crystal from Saturday Night Live. You remember, it is better to look marvelous than to feel marvelous. And my yeah. darling, you look marvelous. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I remember Billy Crystal, I think, from Sleepless in Seattle. Was that the one movie he was in? Yeah, yep. He was pretty good in that. Yeah, he was a Meg funny Ryan. guy. Yeah. Ryan that one. yeah, that was good. He was good. Uh, so listen, um, oh, no, it was, it was when Harry met Sally. Where, Harry had, yeah, yeah, that's yeah. thank you. Thank yes. you. Yep. When no, that's Harry great. Met Sally, that's good. I'll have what she's having. I mean, yes. That's, <laughs> that's one of the good lines. So before we get into the NHL action, Pierre, I stumbled across, and it's a great podcast. I, I urge not not just wild Minnesota Wild fans, but any hockey fans. I really enjoyed it. Um, it was uh, from a, a thing called the uh, Seventh Avenue, um, and it's a, a podcast talking to wild players and, and wild beat reporters and all that. Um, really enjoyed it. But they had Brock Faber on, a guy who you've been high on, a guy who you said, Pierre, when they made the coaching change, may benefit the most, and of course he has, and he's he's way up there in minutes uh, leaders for defensemen. But what I liked about this, they asked him towards the end, what is he, you know, what has he learned, or what did he learn heading to the NHL that he knew he had to do to become a pro, and and is that maybe lacking sometimes with the culture around hockey? because of social media um, yeah. and, and, you know, making fancy plays and the, you know, the Michigan and all that. And um, so let's just take a listen to it. And then, and then we can comment on it. Cause I, I know you're going to love what this kid says. What, what I like, just he's years beyond in, in maturity with what he says here. So give it a listen. Yeah. What do you tell a, a youth hockey kid? So you've kind of had this path. Uh, you're from here. Um, you know, if there was a Brock Faber hockey school, what would you tell the kids um, that are playing hockey today? Yeah, I don't, I don't know. I mean, I feel like, I feel like kids now are just so different from, I mean, I'm so young, right? Like, so me as a kid is different from, you know, some of the vets when they were kids, but even now, just like these kids had with social media and all this and, you know, care so much about scoring goals and, all that, which scoring goals are great, but, you know, winning hockey games are what matter. And I think being a good teammate, um, just being a good person, like I, f I feel like, you know, there's kids that are just like little shitheads, you know, like just li like just be a good teammate, have fun, play this game, say thank you, do, all, you know, do things the right way and live this life the right way. And, you know, good things will happen. But um, you know, and I think coaches now are different too. Like when I was getting yelled, like, I was scared shitless if we lost a game and I played bad and had to ride home with my dad or Curtis Janicki. Like, we would hate that. Like, that would be the worst thing ever is you get in the car and you just, you're crying because you lost. And you're you, minus two. You just can't even look up because you're, if your dad just stares at you, it's like the scariest <laughs> thing ever. So, I mean, I don't know. Like, I just nowadays, hated losing growing up. Like Nowadays, you think kids can be minus two and dads will say, but that one toe drag looks Yeah, good. that toe yeah. drag was great. Then he posts a toe <laughs> drag on Instagram with their hair and, you know, all that stupid tape jobs. It's like. Yeah. Speaking of, you you know, before we go on and I get Pierre's take on that, too, when Pierre and I were texting during USA in the first period and they came he said, they're toe dragging too much. They're looking for that fancy play. They're looking for the, the highlight reel. And. And sure enough, they tighten that up. But Pierre, just your thoughts on that. I love that take. I love it. Well, first of all, hats off to you for searching it out, Jimmy. And secondly, um, great on Brock Faber. Hopefully a lot of high school coaches in the state of Minnesota and around 
can in the United States will play that clip for some of their players or maybe play it for themselves to remind themselves what the game is all about. I want to read you a direct quote from a college hockey player that spent the last two summers in the Minnesota Wild development camp. I, as soon as you told me you were going to play the clip, I didn't know what the clip was, but I texted the player and I said, can you tell me about Brock Faber as a person? And this is exactly what he said. Brock is a great guy who's always looking out for the people around him, and he's always looking to make those people better. That's from my son that was sitting on a nine-hour bus ride from Hamilton, New York, to Orono, Maine, where they're playing in Orono tomorrow against the University of Maine Black Bears. And he said that, and he's a hard marker. I was probably one of those dads that Brock's alluding to, <laughs> that if you didn't play well, I wasn't going to talk about your great goal. I was going to talk about the things you didn't do well. And he said, my son sincerely means that about Brock. And uh, I didn't tell him what I was asking him for. I just said, hey, tell me about Brock Faber. And so he did. And sometimes guys get on those podcasts and they say stuff that sounds really cool, but they don't really live that. They don't live it. This kid lives it. I can tell and uh, that's why I was convinced Having heard two summers of stories about what he was like in dev camp in Minnesota, I was convinced that this guy, when the coaching change happened, he would thrive. And clearly he's gone to another level. And, and yeah, it's great. And, you know, you know, he reminds me a bit of, uh, cause I've had some good conversations. I know you have as well with Charlie McAvoy, Pierre. Mm -hmm. um, he's got his, he's got his head on his shoulder really tight. He knows what's up. It, it just, I love that. I love the, the work ethic that was oozing through him as he spoke there and, and his bluntness, he's he's not afraid to call his peers out, you know, yeah. and that's that's a leader. That's not him being a jerk. That's him yeah. being a leader. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I think about some of the better leaders. Uh, Chris Chelios, you know, was a great leader. He was a maniac, but he was a great, he was a hard guy. He was a great leader. Jeremy Roenick is a great, like a great leader. I talked to one of his former line mates this afternoon. Jeremy's one of his former line mates, and, and he was telling me, like, Playing with that guy was unbelievable because you knew he was going to show up every single night to want to be the best he could be. And his numbers speak to that when you talk about Jeremy yeah. Roman. So hats off to him. Um, but I think there's a lot to be said about guy. Everybody wants the, the polite, nice leader that says all the right things and then doesn't live it that way. Right. Sometimes the guys that are the most transparent that people don't like their takes, those yeah. guys matter the most when it comes to leaders. Yeah, I don't want a politician for a leader. I just want a human, you know, that's just get out there and be a human. Exactly. Yeah, right. Exactly. exactly. Yeah. So great stuff there. Definitely. Uh, and if you, if for our fans out there that haven't really been watching him closely, do yourself a favor, get on, watch a wild game if you can. And, and just, and just follow him throughout the game, take notes, look at him, come back to us if you want. We'll love to analyze, but I mean, just you'll appreciate that we're telling you to do that because this kid is a hell of a player in the wild uh, are psyched to have him. So Jimmy, uh, think about it. Now he was a, to be fair, he was drafted by the LA Kings. He came over in the Kevin Fiala trade, but you think about it when he was before the coaching change, he was playing 17 to 19 minutes a game. Yeah. Now most nights he's playing 27 to 31 minutes a game. <laughs> he's 21 years old. It, we're not talking about, you know, an older guy here that's yeah. been in the league for a while. So again, he's benefited and prospered. Uh, under John Hines, there's no question. And that's not to knock the previous coaching staff. It's no. just every coach sees things differently. And it's John, it's, yeah, they just see it different. And it, so John's gone in there and he's done a nice job with the team and he's done a great job with Brock Faber. There's no question. And a credit to the scouts too for Minnesota, you know, who wanted him in that trade and insisted on it. I mean, that was a good, that was a great opportunity, by the way. Jimmy, if they didn't want him, I'd be worried because they saw him play a lot in their backyard. Right? <laughs> so, I mean... And he was at the University of Minnesota. So, I mean, if they didn't know. Now, Pierre, forgive me for, for not knowing exactly where he went in the draft and where, where Minnesota was drafting. first-round pick, L.A. Okay. So, was Minnesota drafting after them that year? I don't remember that. That's a great Okay. So, I'm wondering, though, you know, like, in it, it, for, you'll, you'll confirm this to our listeners out there because I, I've had talks with GMs and scouts about this. I'm wondering, you know, when like teams will will make a list of guys. Well, we didn't get them in a the draft, but maybe, maybe we'll be able to get them down the line via trade, or maybe he doesn't. You know, maybe he doesn't re up with them down the. And you have this list of players out there that you've always been interested in. I'm imagining, like you just said, since he was right there in Minnesota, 
he's on that type of list for them. I'm one it, that happens a lot, doesn't it? I have, I have one that I had for sure, and I'll tell okay. you who it was. It was Teddy Drury. Gotcha. And, and I thought the world of Teddy Drury, and I saw Teddy Drury play at Fairfield Prep, and I saw Teddy Drury play at Harvard, and, and I obviously watched him in the Olympics, and he was a pick of the Calgary Flames, and we were hooked up to make a big deal with Calgary. And we said, hey, the one thing that has – and it wasn't just me. It was the other guys in the staff. But I always liked Teddy. And so he was one of the guys. So when I went to Hartford and we had a chance to make a deal, we ended up bringing him to Hartford. Then yeah. here's the best part of the story. When I left Hartford to go to Ottawa, we brought Teddy there too. So <laughs> um, there's certain – and he, he was very useful. I, yeah. I'm a big – you see his son playing in the NHL for Carolina right now, and I'm a big fan of the family. And obviously the uncle's a general manager of the New York Rangers, yep. but I'm a big fan of the family. But the father, Teddy, is, is a phenomenal gentleman and uh, a great role model, and he was a very useful player for the teams that I was involved in when we had him. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think, I, you know, from what I heard too, and we've we've raved about him this season, Charlie Coyle's having a heck of a season for the oh, Boston Bruins. But, you know, I know their scouting department from seeing him around here, whether it was growing up in Weymouth, Mass., or – you know, the short time he spent at BU, but just playing in different leagues and teams around New England, the USPHL or whatever the heck it was called. Well, they, were, they were both, both he and Chris Wagner were line mates with the That's South right. Shore Kings, yep. which is a prominent team in the area of the world that you live, Jimmy. And, yep. you know, Matt Beneers was a product of the South Shore Kings as well. Lots yeah. of good players have come out of there. Um, Brian Bedard is playing now for the New, uh, New York Rangers farm team or is, is, Another player, Brett Berard, sorry, Brett Berard, he's another one. So you start looking at it, and and um, the, the ring or the Bruins figured it out. They figured it out with Charlie Coyle and Chris Wagner. And if you saw, they both signed pretty substantial contracts at the same time. Yeah. They were line mates with the South Shore Kings. So yep. they knew about these guys from when they were little, little exactly. tiny guys. And even though they weren't able to draft him, they, they kept their tabs on him, and they, they waited until the moment was right, and they got him. So – uh, good scouting there. Um, all right, Pierre. Another thing we want to talk about, and then we're going to get to, I see a lot of people commenting here. Glad to have you. Um, there's just a lot of, like, we, we touched on this the other day. There's suddenly a lot of vigilantes running around the ice these days in the NHL, and especially in the past week, um, whether it be, you know, Hartman on Perfetti, you know. Cool what Perfetti, he didn't, but, yeah. yeah, Perfetti, it wasn't. Perfetti didn't do anything, but it, it's what we went back to that, you know, if if the officials aren't going to take it, if, if the players that are laying cheap shots on your star player, which they were doing, you know, Brendan Dillon just cross-checks uh, Kaprizov, but then he took another one. He knew right where he was going, right where the padding wasn't, and he knew what he was doing. And now Kaprizov, once again, as a result of an injury, suffered against the Winnipeg Jets is out indefinitely again. So Hartman said enough of this. I'm going to take matters in my own hand. I'm going to, I'm going to go after one of your guys. And he doesn't go after Dylan. He goes after Perfetti. And so you had spoken about this and now it's a hot topic around the NHL. And some people right now are saying, Oh, that's so barbaric. How can you do that? And we're going backwards and all this. And, you know, I'm with you though, Pierre. No, it's the game. It's part of the game, and I'm sorry, it does work. I don't think the next time those two teams play that they're going to go after one of the, the wild superstars. They're going to think twice about it. So I, I get it. I get people don't understand, but it, it, this is part of the game, and you, you, have to, you have to have that accountability out there, especially if the officials aren't going to enforce it. Look, at it. it's a game that doesn't have out of bounds. It's a game that's played at 25 to 35 miles an hour by big, strong, physical people. Uh, who run into a wall sometimes with a little help from the opposition. They're also carrying around weapons called sticks. So there's a lot of potential for a lot of bad stuff to happen in a hockey game, especially mm -hmm. at the highest levels. Intimidation is still a very real part of the National Hockey League, and it's a very real part of most hockey. Jimmy, the last three nights I've watched two WHPL games, the Professional Women's Hockey League, okay, or yep. HL games. I've watched the games. And I've been really impressed by the caliber of play, number one, and the speed, number two. But what I wasn't expecting, and I'm reading about it now, is the physicality. Right. And it's not just, you know, 
women deeper in the lineup. It's women at the top end of the lineup too. Mary Philip Poulin is one of the best female players I've ever seen. She is. She's phenomenal. I watched Montreal play Ottawa the other night. She ran over somebody big time. There was no penalty. And it was not like accidentally on purpose. <laughs> so, um, you know, to me, the biggest thing is intimidation happens in every part of hockey. It does, as long as hitting is involved. And I did not know going into the start of the PWHL that they were going to allow hitting the way they have. And I read some quotes today from Carla McLeod, who I respect unbelievably. She's a head coach of uh, Ottawa in the league. And when I was covering international hockey on both the men's and the women's side, she was a prominent undersized defenseman for Canada. There was really no hitting, but there was bumping. You know, they say in NASCAR, if you're not rubbing, you're not racing. Yeah. That's kind of okay. the average they had in women's hockey back in the day. Okay. And, and she was a part of that. And she's a tremendous hockey mind and a really good coach. She even talked about it. She said, I wasn't expecting hitting like this. She goes, I'm glad I'm not playing because I wasn't built for that. <laughs> so it shows you that this is an elite woman player. She's a, She was an elite, elite player, and she's a really good coach. Um, she even recognizes the fact that, you know what, intimidation is part of the game. It is. It is. And it's that's the way it's going to be. And, look, we don't want the game to not have skill yeah. on display, but at the same yeah. time, I also don't want guys to get hurt. I mean, and there needs people need to think twice if they're thinking about doing something like we've seen a few guys do, namely a guy in Florida um, who I don't even want to get into it, but that some Pierre, the league needs to pull him in. You know who I'm talking about? Yeah, yeah. No, I'm white, you want to say number twenty-one, Nick Cousins? Well, I know they, need, they need to pull him in. They no, need to because something's going to happen to him. I, I I hate to bring up. A horrible moment in NHL history, but you think back to the Vancouver Canucks. Yeah, that's not going to happen. I, I, think I, I just don't want to see it happen again. No, but I'm I'm convinced and really confident to say that's not going to happen. I'll give you an example. Uh -huh. After Brad Marchand did the tongue stuff with, with Ryan Callahan and all that, and everybody was yep. really angry with him, you know him, I know him. I was like, after this, you're not doing that ever again. No. Like, that's over. And he hasn't. He's he's a captain of an original sixteen. Yep. He's an amazingly important member of the National Hockey League Players Association and and the NHL Player Fraternity. Um, so he didn't do that. I, I don't think we're going to ever see what happened between Colorado and Vancouver. I, I just too many guys learned too many lessons. Yeah. And people paid attention. But I understand your point. And but you know what? And there's good people there in Florida. To reel him in, he, they've got some good leaders on the team. They've got some good leaders on the coaching staff and, and in management. Um, so I would think that they're having some conversations, just like they did with Martian. You know, I, I and Martian's right. He's open about what happened after that. You know, he said, "Hey, Cam came to me. Donnie Sweeney came to me. Uh, Bruce Cassidy came to me." And you know, the biggest one who had the biggest influence on him, obviously, was number thirty-seven, Patrice Bergeron. Yeah. And he said. Dude, you got a chance to be a superstar here. You got and now Nick Cousins isn't on Brad Marchand's skill level, but he could still be a very important player for his team and and not be doing this stuff. So I'm sure guys are pulling him in, saying, "Hey, man, come on, you're better than this." So we'll see what yeah, happens. I think something will maybe probably Paul Maurice is a, a class guy. Paul Maurice is a really savvy him. hockey person. Jamie Compon, one of his assistants, these are savvy hockey people. They. They know what winning is about, and uh, I, I would think that at some point that will get addressed. It probably already has. All right, let's let's uh, let's go over right now, shall we, Pierre? we got some uh, a nice little crowd in here, and uh, I see my my former co-host on the uh, Ice Guys, who I still go on with them every Friday, uh, Alex B. Smith, join us. Um, guys, what do we have? Any questions up there or comments we can address? Here we go. Mark Allred, he does a great job covering the Bruins. Good afternoon, gentlemen. Thoughts on the World Juniors coming to Minnesota in 2026? And to follow some thoughts on the U.S. development system with the NHL, USHL, and NCAA, thanks for the awesome work. Thank you, Mark. Here. I'm so excited. The last time it was anywhere close to Minnesota was uh, in Grand Forks, North Dakota. It was so successful that there was a snowstorm and they ran out of beer in Grand Forks at the indoor football stadium because that's where all the people from Winnipeg had to sleep. They couldn't drive back on the highway. I, I think a world junior in the state of hockey will be phenomenal. Um it's just that's outstanding news. 
I think so highly of the state, think so highly of the people that are owning uh, the Minnesota Wild right now. Um, you know, so I think it's it's outstanding. Um, in terms of the development of the U.S. leagues, the USHL has done a great job. The NAL, the North American Hockey League, has done a great job. Minnesota High School Hockey has done a great job. Jimmy, I, I say this to young people who want to get in the business, the scouting business. If you really want to be good at it, you got to be an expert in the three M's. And the three M's are Minnesota, Michigan, Massachusetts. Yep. Now, between those states, there's some other states that are producing hockey players as well. That's Ohio right. would be one of them. Uh, you know, Pennsylvania would be another. New That's Jersey right. has yep. done an amazing job. New York State, Connecticut. Think about some of the great players oh, that yeah. come out of the state of Connecticut. Just to look at Trevor, Trevor Zegers right now, Max Pacioretty came back from New Canaan. Yeah, Canada that's right. Congratulations. Right. You know, Cam Atkinson. I can go down the line. All the great – Jonathan Quick. There's so many yep. good players. Uh, Brian, the great Brian Leach, obviously, out of Cheshire, Connecticut, and Avon Old Farms, where he played for John Gardner. So, But if you really want to be good at scouting, you got to be an expert in the three M's, and that's Minnesota, Michigan, and, and Massachusetts. All right. And then definitely check out the ISL if you're around here. Pierre knows that. Well, the, that's part of being in the 3M, the ISL with St. Sebastian's and Milton and Belmont Hill and yep. a lot of other Thayer Academy, St. Mark's, you know, yep. the Governor's Academy now. Yeah. Uh, just phenomenal. Yeah. No, I agree. Those are great games. Good stuff. Good question. Uh, let's go to the next one here. And Alex B. Smith says there's less physicality in the game is getting too cute with all the skill. Where's the balance? I don't know if the game's – it's a fair question. I don't know if the game's getting too cute. The skill level is unbelievably high, I would say that. Um, but some of the hits, I mean, I don't know if you watched last night uh, Bobby McMahon's hit on Pavel Minchnikov. In the Why is he getting kicked out on that, though, Pierre? I thought that was – he got he got thrown out for that, didn't he? Yeah, no, it was a clean hit, but they yeah, reacted to what they saw afterwards. But that's my point. So Minchnikov – here's the difference. Bobby McMahon is a mature physical person. He went to Colgate University, played four years, never drafted, started in the East Coast Hockey League, finds his way, obviously, playing in the National Hockey League with the Toronto Maple Leafs. He needs to do something to stay in the league. So mm -hmm. his thing is chip it, chase it, check it. Yep. So this happened to be him coming at full speed on a 19-year-old defenseman who's, I guarantee you, his name was circled and his number was circled in the pregame meeting. Don't let him jump into the rush. Don't let him jump into the cycle and put pressure on him on the forecheck because he's that good a player. McMahon's following the rules. He says, I'm going to do what the coach tells me. Bam! Exactly. And he does it. And now you got to give Labushkin credit because McMahon's a strong physical guy. Labushkin came right in and defended his teammate and countryman and fought McMahon. But I thought the referees made a bad decision there. Yeah, I did too, especially with some of the other hits we saw that didn't get that type of penalty, Pierre. I, I think that's what people are frustrated for, just a little more consistency. Right, Let's, go to the next one. Let's go to the next one here. Gentlemen, thoughts on the state? Well, we talked about this yesterday. Yeah. This seems to be a uh, an issue, a hot-button issue up, up north, eh, Pierre? Yeah. Well, part of it is, you know, the, you're so spoiled for so long in Canada. With all the goalies. You know, it, you just were. And, and it started, I think, the new wave of goalie, Francois Lair the great goalie coach when he had Patrick Wong and obviously his brother, Benoit, who does, has does such a good job with the New York Rangers, um, you know, whether it be with Henrik Lundqvist or Shesterkin or now Jonathan Quick. Uh, it's just amazing to see what the Allaire brothers have done to influence the, that position in particular. But there's so many other good goalie coaches out there. But in Canada, for whatever reason, it's kind of dried up a little bit. I think eventually it'll get back. It's cyclical, yeah. It's cyclical, though. It is definitely cyclical. And, uh, you know, we don't, most fans don't know this name unless they're huge connoisseurs of Swedish hockey. But Jesper Wallstad is a draft pick of the Minnesota Wild. He's playing in Iowa right now. I'm not going to say he's the next great one, but he's really good, Jimmy. Yeah. He's, he's, yeah. he's really good. He is. And he's just one example. So there are guys from all over the world that are really evolving and developing. And, I think that's maybe why the Canadians get a little frustrated from time to time. Yeah, and I'm glad you brought him up, too, because I remember we had Billy Guerin on, too. But I, I think, you know, with their situation there, Pierre, what we've seen Billy do with his goaltending over the last two, three, four years, to me, it, it just struck me as they're just waiting. They're not, you know, they're going to they're gonna patch the hole here. Not 
I shouldn't say that's a little strong, but they're bringing in good goalies. They're not going to just stink at the position, no, no, I get but it. they're also not going to go crazy and, and sign a veteran when they know he's coming. And that's the reason for you wild fans out there that they haven't gone out and tried to acquire a big name between the pipes. I mean, yeah, they got Mark Andre Fleury, but of course he's at the end of his career. They're, they know what's coming there. And it, hey, listen, Philip, Philip Gustafson's done some really good things. There. He has. They got yeah. him from Ottawa. And the reason why they got Philip Gustafson from Ottawa, Billy Garen was part of the Pittsburgh Penguins organization when he was drafted in the second round. That's right. The Penguins. So, I mean, it's not like they're not good at goal. They are. The, the truth is, though, Jesper Wallstad might be – he might be a really – Big difference yeah, maker. The one. So yeah. they're developing them properly. And I know one thing that happened internally in Minnesota, they made sure with their development people and Brad Bombardier's ahead of their development. Uh, Cody McLeod's part of that group. Frederick Shabbat is part of that group. Matt Hendricks is part of that group. They do a yep. really good job with their development. They made sure that Wallstad was looked after in terms of how he was going to be developed because they knew they had a diamond. They just had to make sure that it got rounded out properly. And I love that they're taking their time with it. I, I love well, that's it. That's the key. That's yeah. the key. I mean, look, I, I think that uh, Le Levy, uh, Le Levi and uh, Buffalo, no. yeah, I think he's going to be great. But at the same time, I, they might have jumped the gun a bit. They might have jumped the gun a bit. Do you think? Mm, I don't know about that because I think there's a lot more ailing Buffalo than just okay, the so not, I, gotcha. um, I, I think the roster's really similar right now. They try to load up on skill and they kind of undervalued character, which is, I mean, what's the, the eye test? The eye test, yep. Well, the eye test. So they went more on numbers than they did on the eye test. I think now Kevin Adams is realizing they've got to change a couple things. And I think they're well on their way to doing that. Um, so, yeah, no, I, again, I think it's more than just that with the goaltending in Buffalo. All right, let's go to the next one. Who will be the first goalie trader? What a great question. That's the question of the year what, right what, now. What a really good question. Randy, I think the gentleman's name. Yes, Randy Workman, yep. Yeah, Randy, that's a great question. Uh, I'm going to think it's going to be somebody from the Montreal Canadiens. Okay. I just don't know who it's going to be. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I heard some uh, some other analysts out there, Pierre, saying that the prices, not just from the Montreal Canadian goalies, have been very high right now. Well, Gibson's got, I mean, if Gibson's getting traded out of Anaheim, what's the price point on him? Right. I mean, so they, I think a lot of guys are waiting for that, that price to come down on a lot of them right now. A lot of these GMs are kind of saying, all right, I'm, I'm going to hold back. I'm just going to tread water as much as I can because right. I don't want to give that up. So be interesting to see if the prices come down as we get closer to the deadline here. But Pierre, you said it before we went into the holiday break, and I still think you're going to be right. I think we're going to see things sooner than later in terms of trades and especially at the goalie position, because there's so many teams right now that thought they'd be in a playoff spot that aren't that need a goalie. Yep. And one of them obviously is in Edmonton, even though I give them a lot of credit. We talked about coach Knobloch and Paul Coffey and the job they've done there. They've done a really good job. Um, I think people are looking at the model in Vancouver right now. And I think Jimmy Rutherford, kind of did it along with Patrick Alvin, they did a really good thing. They recognized that they needed to be deeper behind Thatcher Demko and they had internal knowledge of Casey DeSmith. Obviously they were in Pittsburgh with him. And you look at what Casey's done in Vancouver. I think people are looking at that saying, okay, we got a 1A in Thatcher. There's no question Demko's a 1A. We need to have a little bit better than a 2. We need a 1B. And Casey's doing that. He's doing that. I'm telling you, Jimmy. He, so I think teams are looking at it now saying the days of 14 straight years from Marty Brodeur of 65 or more starts, those days are gone. They're gone. They're gone. So we need, to, we need to find somebody that can play probably 30 to 35 games at a one level. Mm -hmm. and, and I think that's kind of where we are right now in the league. We'll see where it goes. What's the next question we got here? Pierre, your thoughts on Black So goaltending the theme today. On um, Blackhawks goaltending, Comesso is the future, but how long of a leash should the organization give Soderblom? I think a longer leash than you would think, Alex, just because they're in such a major rebuild and retool. Um, it'll be interesting to see when they become sellers, how many of their older players they start to move along. Um, the other part is, you know, obviously the Taylor Hall injury earlier this year was a problem for them. Um in terms of what they were going to do. 
but I think goaltending is something eventually that will sort itself out. Now we talked about the South Shore Kings before, and I don't know if Alex knows that, but Drew Camesso was the goaltender of the South Shore Kings. He was a tremendous goalie for the South Shore Kings yeah. before he went to Boston, well, the national team development program and then Boston university. So I've known Drew's body of work for a long time. I think he's got tremendous upside. All right. Next question, please. Mark has another one here. Uh, speaking of goaltending coaches, how about Bruins Bob Asenzer and the addition of Mike Dunham a few years ago and how the two of them have been a crease developmental machine in Boston? Well said, Mark. That's good. Well, first of all, Bobby Essence, uh, I think we talked about him one of the first shows. Yep. Um, maybe one of the most underappreciated goalie coaches in the National Hockey League. Uh, he's done a great job, whether it was Timmy Thomas. You know, you look at all of them, look at what oh, he's doing God. now with Crazy. the guys he has right now with Swayman and Olmark. Um, you, you, look at what he, you look at what he did with Tuca. He's done some great work. Now, Mike Dunham, uh, listen, again, transparency matters. Mike Dunham's a kid from Shenango Bridge, New York, okay, right outside Binghamton. His father's a golf pro. I remember watching Mike Dunham play at Canterbury Prep School. I'm just telling you right now, I'm coaching at St. Lawrence. And I remember calling Mike's father up and saying, we really want your son. We think Mike's going to be a huge impact player in the game. And he would really we're, – we're losing guys right now. Paul Cohen's uh, graduating. Les Kuntar's only going to be here for one more year. Then he's going to sign with Montreal. And so we need, we need a starting goalie. And your guy will be that guy. And we worked really hard to recruit Mike out of Canterbury, really, really hard. Eventually, he ended up going to Orono, Maine, that goal, which was a goalie factory back then yeah. uh, to play for a great program uh, up in Maine. But I am a, I've always been a gigantic Mike Dunham fan. And I just this is part of a meandering story to get you to understand. In the program, the game program, when I was scouting him, I said, I haven't seen a guy look like Ken Dryden more than Mike Dunham. Wow. Because that's how he looked in goal when he was a kid at that age. Wow. He looked just like Ken Dryden. That's high praise. Yeah, and that was kind of an under-the-radar move. I mean, good of Mark to ask for it. A lot of people don't realize that he's in the Burns organization, so yeah. uh, good move by them. All right, next question. Will Granado be the head coach for Buffalo next season? That comes from Real Deal Prime. And by the way, I love the RJ uh, profile pick there. God bless. That is good. So a couple things. Um, I just want to have a shout-out. Donnie's been under the weather, um, didn't coach for two games, didn't coach in Ottawa. Um you know, and so I know they're playing in Montreal tonight. I hope he's feeling better, number one. Number two, a shout-out uh, to his brother, Tony, who's battling cancer right now. And uh, I know Tony pays attention to what goes on here on the eye test and uh, stay in touch with Tony very often. And, and I know that he's making progress in his battle, so that's exciting. But that being said, I could see that staff being changed a little bit behind the bench. I think Donnie's done a really good job there, but I could see some alteration. You know, the one thing that's interesting, um, and I don't want anybody to ever be fired in this mm -hmm. business because once you've been fired, you never want anybody to be fired. Yeah. Um, Michael Pekka is a former Sabre, obviously, still lives in upstate New York, has done a magnificent job as an assistant coach with the New York Rangers. And he was a great coach with Rochester, uh, in the American Hockey League. I watched his work firsthand because our team in Belleville, when I was working in Ottawa, played them so often, especially in the playoffs. So got to know him. Really, again, his body of work as a coach. That is my one caveat. If people in Buffalo are looking for a different voice, a former Sabre, then maybe Michael Pekka becomes that guy. But I still think Donnie Granato is going to be the coach in Buffalo. All right. All right. Next question. All right. Enter tap. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. Do you see the league trending towards a three goalie system by increasing the roster spots? I think it's time. But they don't have to e-bug, eh? No, it's, I get it. Um, I, it. I have a hard time understanding that and believing that teams would use a roster spot on a third goalie yeah. and eat up cap space. Um, I know I can tell you this. We did it in Pittsburgh. And one of the reasons why we were able to do it when I was there coaching, the guy that was the third goalie, Wendell Young, was one of the best team guys you'd ever have. Yeah. He was a phenomenal, phenomenal teammate. He never pouted. He never complained. You know, Tommy Barrasso and Frank Peterangelo were our guys. And then Frank got traded and we brought in Kenny Raggett. Uh, but I can tell you, Wendell never complained ever, ever, ever. And it got to the point 
um, the first playoff run, 91, when there was no salary cap, the players weren't making as much, obviously, but they still had to stay for the two months, the Black Aces, and Wendell was part of that. And so we gave him a credit card, and he was in charge of the credit card. And, and after every day on the road, the guys, the Black Aces, would get $500 to go out for lunch, and he was in charge of it. And that's how much we thought of him. So nice. Uh, it, it can work when you got the right people. Yeah. The three goalie system is hard, Jimmy. Yeah. It's really, really hard. Yeah. I mean, what Montreal's doing, and I, I give them credit. They've done a good job with it, balancing it in Montreal. They, they have, but you know why they have? Because all of those guys are good. Got Primo's a good kid. Montembeau's a good kid. You and won't Jake find Allen. a better person than Jake Allen. Yeah. Just telling you. So those three guys are salt of the earth people, and they're never going to complain, which is a big part of it. For sure, for sure. All right, we got time for maybe two or three more. Let's get another. Jimmy, know how to like it. I like it. Thank you, Real Deal Prime. <laughs> uh, All you right. Want to, you want to show me up because you got a lot of hair there. <laughs> I don't know. It's going, Perry. It's going. <laughs> it's all, right. Uh, all right. Let's go to the next one. Gentlemen, should the Bruins speak? Uh, goalie's the theme today. Should the Bruins uh, trade one of their goalies? That comes from Randy Workman. I'm going to just say before you do, Pierre, no, yeah. not now. Off season, yes. I think it comes down to where they are just before the deadline, uh, how the team is playing, what's their injury situation, um, and how much confident they have, confidence they have that they can make a push to win. And if they think they're a player away from winning and they think the goalie is going to bring that player in, then I think you do it. If you don't and you still think you can win with the roster you have, then I think you keep both goalies and you do that in the offseason. Well, it's interesting, too, that the, this question comes up because I was working on a story before we hopped on the podcast. It'll be up on Boston Hockey Now later. But uh, this was Jim Montgomery today, uh, Pierre, speaking about the goalie rotation because they, he was asked on a local radio station. He said, um, you know, they said, would you go with the goalie rotation in the playoffs? Would you have done it if you had a second chance last year? And he, he said, yes, hands down. And that's what I plan on doing uh, in the playoffs this year. So. You know, as far as he's now, he could just be, you yeah. know, and again, things can change, but in his head right now, that's what he's going into the playoffs with is a goalie rotation, which is well, interesting. Remember what I said before, Jimmy, I, I think it's becoming kind of the in vogue thing in the league. People realize the game's too fast. The shots are too hard. The mm -hmm. crease traffic is too uh, heavy. People understand that it's a tiring thing to be the guy that plays. Yeah, that's what he mentioned. Games. And I'm just telling you, I see it. I'm watching all these teams and, no, you've got to have a 1A and a 1B. And a Vancouver situation speaks volumes as to where they are right now in the standings. And a big part of it is the stability they have in goal. Yeah, I mean, this was one of the quotes. He said, the mental demands are significant. If you know you can have a day off to get a breather, reset, refocus, and bring your A game again, I think it just behooves us to play to our strengths. So there you go. That's exactly what you're saying, Pierre. Uh, cool. Final question here uh, on a Thursday eye test. Uh, that's a great point by Alex. Uh, Alex, yeah. he, could, he could. Don't forget Fantilli in Columbus. Don't forget Cooley in Arizona. They're very good. Don't forget Minchikoff in uh, in Anaheim, who's been fantastic. Yeah. Well, you know, we talked about him before we had Greg Cronin on, if you remember. Yeah. And uh, Cronin couldn't say enough good things about him. So I would have favor in the discussion to think that he would win it surefire no i couldn't say that because one of his old teammates from the university of minnesota cooley he's pretty good and the other big 10 guy fantilli he's pretty good too yeah fantilli is something else man and you know that's another thing too like i know a lot of people don't get to see columbus games a lot take go watch them if you get the chance and you're going to enjoy watching fantilli for sure hey want to remind everybody want to thank everybody for being here today don't, don't forget to press the like button and subscribe there uh, and, and we really appreciate it. Of course, you can hear us, the replay of this, and all the other platforms that you get your podcasts on. Um, so another great show here, Pierre, and we're going to start having guests on again next week. We'll get into that Monday to Friday rotation, 4 to 5 p.m. Eastern here live, and then again, you can hear the repeat after that. Uh, Pierre, before we go, I'm going to just ask here off the top of your head, is there one game you're honed in on tonight? Because there's some beauties. Yeah, there are. I think the one that you're going to tonight, Boston-Pittsburgh, is one that I'll be watching. Um, and I think a big reason why is, you know, Pittsburgh, they're trying to get traction in the standings. Boston, I think, is trying to figure some things out. And so I want to see, obviously, where Pittsburgh is right now. 
Mm-hmm. Um, by the way, I think you agree, Jimmy. Sidney Crosby's been amazing. Oh yeah, we said that the other yeah yesterday. Yeah, he's, he's, he's been amazing. He's in my heart trophy race right now. So, sure. But they they have to make the playoffs, and if they don't, it's been a waste another wasted year for Crosby, Malkin, and Latang. Yep. So it'll be interesting there. That's probably the game I'll be watching the most. I know Buffalo, Montreal. For a lot of our people that are watching in Montreal, they'll be watching that as well. Um, but no, I'm going to focus mostly on that Boston Pittsburgh game tonight. Yep, I will. And then if I uh, get home and I can catch the the late second or definitely the third period, I'm looking at uh, Colorado and Dallas, Pierre. Yeah, that's, well, that, that's that's one of those games where they're playing for turf and, and understanding where they're going to be exactly. down the road. And I think some people actually would be watching the Ottawa. Uh, I was just going to bring that up. Yeah. Because they want to see what the bounce back is going to be for Ottawa coming out of a dreadful performance in Vancouver. And if there's no bounce back, I would think with new management there evaluating closely at some point, they're going to start to shake the tree there because this just isn't good enough right now. for Yeah, Ottawa. they're going to have to sell soon. It, it is what it is. And Pierre, I want to say another thing too. I don't have the stats in front of me, but I'm pretty sure that the record of teams coming out of the Winter Classic that win isn't too great. So keep no, that in mind for the Seattle Kraken. Yeah. It's a, it's an emotional letdown. I mean, that that's like a playoff game to these guys when they play in that. So no, it's, it's really tough. And the other part is a lot of times the weather's not so good, so it takes time for your body to recover. Now, that wasn't the case in Seattle. It was 45 yeah. to 50 degrees. Um, but, no, you're right. The record of teams coming out of the Winter Classic is not particularly good for about three or four games coming out of it. And again, I want to give a shout out. Uh, we both know him too, Brian Decord, his son Joey Decord, yeah. the goalie for Seattle. Yeah. What a game! MVP of the game there, and I'm happy for him. And he does a lot of good work for goalies around here in New England. Yeah. So uh, happy for yeah. Brian yeah. watching for sure. Yeah. All right, this has been another great edition of the Eye Test here in the Sick Podcast Network. He's Pierre McGuire. I'm Jimmy Murphy. We'll talk to you tomorrow. Thank you. And that's a wrap. Hope you don't miss us too much until next time. Follow the eye test with Pierre McGuire and Jimmy Murphy on YouTube, Facebook, Google Play, and Apple Podcasts.